Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello, I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. Our theme this time is radiation. Yeah, God knows why you chose that. Uh, funny that. But I've come up with a, a watch list. We're going to start with something reasonably light. We're going to start with... Uh, Whoops Apocalypse. Whoops Apocalypse, first episode of that. The remaining ones are going to be a bit of a grim fest. We're going to do the Out of the Unknown episode level 7, mm-hmm. which I know you've seen before. I have, and it was... Um, shockingly grim. It's been a while, so we can... Well, I'm quite happy to watch it again. It was a good piece of television. It, it's a superb piece of television. If you think that's grim, then you might be in for a bit of a surprise with the remaining two. Now, um, you've mentioned... I've mentioned threads before. Threads what, frequently before. That's what we're going to finish off with. And we'll say more about that in the introduction. And the third one we're going to watch is The War Game, which was a an untransmitted segment of the Wednesday play from the 1960s. But I'll say more about Hmm. all of those when we get to those particular ones. Just give us an overview of Whoops Apocalypse, because I don't know anything about this. Well, not much about it. Whoops Apocalypse is a early to mid-80s comedy programme about the Cold War and about a Reagan-esque puppet president in the White House with finger on the big red red button ready to (laughs) release nuclear... Devastation from the skies. It Um, sounds fantastic. So, fun and games to laugh at. Before we do that, there's one fairly essential thing that we should discuss. Ah, gin review. Gin review, yes. Today's gin is Bulldog. Yes, Bulldog gin. We've both had this before. It's quite a firm favourite, actually. It's, uh... It's smooth. It's reasonably priced. And it's very refreshing. I like it mixed with uh, just tonic water. I don't go for slimline tonic. I've never really got the whole diet water thing. So I only ever drink either tonic or sometimes elderflower tonic. But this one, just plain tonic with sliced apple in mine, actually. That goes very well. Oh, right. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll give that a go. I, know, I normally do uh, lemon or lime, depending on which, mm. which I have in the house. Cause, uh... No, a friend introduced me to sliced apple, and it works really quite well in gins. Oh, um, I would... We'll give that a try. And rating for the Bulldog? Well, now that we have, we've agreed on a new rating scale. It's a couple of podcasts back, we were marking them as junipers. But since coming up, we have got a Quatermass review, we decided that it would be very appropriate if we measured them in Bernard's. So I'm going to give Bulldog four Bernard's. Yeah, I'm going to give it three Bernard's because it does what you want it to, but there's nothing particularly special. It's a standard run-of-the-mill, nice, smooth, Gin, and I think we may need a fair bit of it later on this evening. Yeah, from what you've said about what's coming up, we're going to need more gin. So, uh, well, we'll raise a glass to Whoops Apocalypse. And then we'll go into the Grimfest. If we might turn to policy discussion. Forgive me. Yeah, what the United Kingdom is really aiming at is a kind of neutral posture. When the world war comes... All neutral countries will have same options as that piece of steak. Rare, medium, or well done. (laughs) Neutral countries are no friends of Russia. Neutral countries 
keep secrets from us. If this imperialistic adventurism in the Middle East leads to a war, neutral countries... Okay, well, that was the first episode of Whoops Apocalypse, Road to Jerusalem. I have to admit, I haven't got a clue what any of that was about. Really? Yeah, it was... Um, there were snatches of it that were very funny, actually. When was that made? 1981. Mm. So clearly meant to be a pastiche of the Reagan administration. There were some nice set... Essentially, that was a collection of sketches. They're not... I mean, with it being the first episode, I don't mm. know how the rest of the series pans out. They were a little bit disjointed on their own. Obviously, I'm coming to this completely fresh. I've never seen it, don't know what it's about. You've got Alexis Sale in there, so you know what you're going to get at that time in his career. It's all going to be a bit anarchic, which it was. I think I probably want to see some more of that, just to find out what the hell it's all about. As I say, it was a little bit wacky in the way it was delivered. I think if they just toned it down a little bit and concentrated more on the delivery, I think. The pacing is very, very fast. Mm. I think it could have just done with being a little bit more breathing room, I think. Whereas, you see, I think it works doing fast one very quick scene after another, after another, after another, mm. interspersed with the news reports delivered at a mine. <laughs> the news reports work well, yes. I like Whoops Apocalypse, but I have seen the entire thing through, so I kind of knew what to expect. Going Is it just one series? Through. Yeah. Yeah. An episode, a series of six episodes, half an hour long, probably worth a revisit in the future. Or that's a feature length edit down. Oh, you did mention that before we put the disc in. Yeah. Um, a lot of famous faces in there. The O'Reilly from Faulty Towers pops up the, as the, uh, the driver with the blindfold on. And Barry Morris was in there from Space 1999. Yes, it's uh, the American president, Johnny Cyclops. <laughs> And the fellow from Yes Minister, whose John name Barron. John Barron, I thought. Who we will see more of when we come to do Doom Watch, because he's one of the series regulars on Doom Watch. I take it that that really is that's. Uh, well, I know that we're we're due to watch Level Seven now, and you've said nothing positive or funny about what's to come. So I'm I'm assuming that's our only light relief for this session. The remaining three are a bit of a grim fest, and will get progressively grimmer as we go along. So Level Seven is probably the least grim of oh any of them. Oh, my God. Um, now, you've seen it before. It's a superb piece of television. Originally a missing episode of Out of the Unknown and was returned ooh, a good few years ago now. Out of the Unknown, has, as with many shows from the 60s, has quite a number of missing episodes. It's not awful in terms of survivability, actually, because... All bar two episodes from the first series exist. Um, four episodes from the second series exist. And these are sort of 12, 13 episode series. So that's, that's a pretty good survivability for the those are the two black and white series. For those who don't know, Out of the Unknown was a series of plays. There were, there yeah, were it was an anthology series, predominantly um, for the, the first three of its four seasons, adapting classic science fiction short stories. So from authors like Isaac Asimov, Frederick Pohl, John Wyndham, uh, Ray Bradbury, there's a lot of Asimov in there. Certainly in the second year, they managed to get a couple of big names. One that we're about to see, Level 7, is based on an original novel by Mordecai Rochefeld, but was adapted by J.B. Priestley. And he would have been a big name at the time. Um, We've written one or two plays in his time. Inspector Calls is reasonably well known. Uh, (laughs) And um, 
one of the other surviving episodes from series two, which is was my introduction to it, Out of the Unknown is absolutely brilliant, is an adaptation of E.M. Forster's The Machine Stops. Don't know that one. We'll, we'll come on to that in its own right at, at some point. It's it's another not particularly cheery one, mm. um, although not quite as uncheery as, uh, as Level 7. Well, we've seen it before, and I was impressed with it the last time I saw it. I do think, it, is this, this is mid-60s, 66, 67? Yes, uh, October 1967. Oh, it was directed by Rudolf Cartier, who d- directed the Quatermass. It all loops back to Quatermass. It does. Well, having seen it again, it's no less grim than it was the first time around. I still say it's a brilliant piece of TV. It is. Um, series 2 of Out of the Unknown has some excellent surviving episodes, and that is well up towards the top. We've not really explained what Level 7 is. I mean, it's um, a facility in London, deep underground with seven levels, to essentially fill it and harvest the best of humanity to create a race in the event of a nuclear war. They also control uh, if and when there's a nuclear war, and eventually they do end up starting one. And Level 7 is the deepest and most secure of the seven levels. It's uh, the military-run level. All the staff going there are told not to use their their civilian names. They're given code numbers. Uh, They have a very strictly regimented life in terms of what they do, what they eat who they're allowed to marry and uh, every aspect of their life is controlled right from the start the system starts breaking down and the lead character is one of the radio operators who is trained to press the deploy button in the event of being given the order to release the uh, nuclear weapons the radio operators work in pairs the other half of his pair becomes mentally unstable and has to be replaced and is retasked as a cleaner played ably by david collins absolutely so the, the mental breakdown of the, the system and showing just how unstable the system is starts very early on in the episode. And then they get the order to release the nuclear bombs and they do that. The other side does that. I don't think it's ever specifically stated that the bunker's under London. Oh, I just got the impression at the start of the episode. I couldn't get... Yeah, I mean, they, they come across as very English because yeah, it, yeah. it's an English production, but it's all couched in terms of our side and their side. Mm. And it, it's never actually said who it is that, that we're looking at. And the radiation fallout starts to creep down through the the levels. So you see footage of people dying of radiation exposure in the upper levels before it reaches down to level seven. I think it's the callousness that they readily accept that levels one to four are going to get it. That's just a given. Levels five, six and seven are safe. And then the panic sets in yeah, when, when level five drops. And then, re- and when level six has gone, then the the base commander at level seven commits suicide. Actually, the two commanders yeah, commit suicide. They- the doctor, who has previously been denying any possibility of radiation poisoning, admits that they're getting radiation poisoning, and the entire base succumbs to radiation poisoning. It is not cheery. No, and the four and a half thousand feet down, everybody dies. In the end, there's just Michelle the trees and. Whoever the lead character is, is dying in a garden. Yeah, they have a hydroponic garden. A hydroponic garden, <sighs> unrelentingly good. There's no special effects really beyond the the board and the buttons. There are no special effects. In uh, the all... film sequence where you see the couple couple of artists who go up onto the surface to see what's going on. Oh yeah, very briefly. But in itself, most of it is is done with words. Yes, and very able performances. Mm. I don't think I could single out any performance that was 
poor. Not in that one. Everybody acts themselves off the screen. So, did you enjoy it? I loved it. I did, but for all the wrong reasons. I mean, it's radiation. This is why we're doing this one, really. It's, it's just a, a fascination of mine. There's just nothing about it. Nothing that you, you, you can't... In the event of a nuclear war, we just could not get away from it. The, the ripples from one bomb are felt around the world, as we've already seen many years in the past. A nuclear war doesn't even bear thinking about, and that was just writ large on the screen. Next, we have something that's based more in fact. Uh, I'm getting the feeling that this is um, around the same time as the Protect and Survive leaflet, or a similar sort of thing. Yes. The next episode in our radiation-themed Grimfest is the War Game, which was originally planned as an edition of the BBC's Wednesday play, and it was planned to go out in the mid-60s. And having made it, the BBC felt that it wasn't appropriate for transmission because, the report said, the effect of the film has been judged by the BBC to be too horrifying for the medium of broadcasting. Now, it was following that publicly screened, and it won the Academy Award for the Best Documentary Feature in 1966. And it's a documentary-style feature, and a lot of the pro-war sentiments that are addressed in the film, and particularly the one by the bishop who's interviewed, were based on real quotes from real people at the time. I have to be honest, I've never seen this. I know it by reputation. I'd seen Level 7 previously, mm. um, and that was that, that, that's slightly challenging viewing. Well, having just seen that, that is now... We have watched it before, but having, it doesn't make any easier I, it, viewing on still... viewing. It's, there are no special effects in, in Level 7 at all. This, again, I am coming to... The war game, I am coming to cold. So this is going to be raw for both of us for once. Yeah. And then after this, we're going into threads. And for anybody of my generation, the the very mention of that probably sends a chill down your spine. We'll talk about that after we've seen the war game. Um, but as I say, this is a bit of an ongoing grim fest. It only gets worse from here on in. Brace, brace. Run VT. Run VT. This could be the way the last two minutes of peace in Britain would look. a.m. A single megaton nuclear missile overshoots Manston Airfield in Kent and airbursts six miles from this position. At this distance, the heat wave is sufficient to cause melting of the upturned eyeball, third degree burning of the skin, and ignition of furniture. Twelve seconds later, the shock front arrives. Right, boys and girls, well, we've just watched the rather lovely film The War Game, untransmitted from 1965. And ultimately transmitted in 1985, immediately before a uh, repeat of the drama Threads. We just cover the War Game first. Yeah. Because I haven't seen that, and that was really grim. It was. I can understand entirely why that was not broadcast. Um... 
from a 21st century point of view, it's quite sedate. It's, there's, there's nothing, there's no special effects that would horrify you. From a, a 1965 point of view, 20 years after a war that saw two ne- nuclear bombs dropped and the imminent threat of, you know, or the threat of Cuba hanging over everybody, that must have been a terrifying prospect. I am not surprised that they pulled the plug on that one. No, no, neither am I. Um, watching it 53 years later, I still think it, I, I think it's horrible. Everything in, that's said in it is bang on the money. That is what would happen. Uh, particularly, I think the the most... I mean, I'll just get it out of the way. In the event of a nuclear war, I would want to be right underneath bomb one. That that would be my personal preference. The, I have thought that since I watched Threads. Um, <laughs> and we'll come on to Threads in a, in a second. And Whatever we've watched in this radiation-themed podcast, it's all really been building to Threads. To threads yeah. uh, we're trying to get away from the fact that what is coming up last is the grimmest thing we're probably likely to watch. So we're still on the war game, however. Um, The thing that, and I've tried to reinforce this with people I've discussed nuclear wars with, if there was a nuclear war, there would be massive relocation across the country. You wouldn't have a choice. You would be given families or a number of people that you had to house if you were in an area that wasn't affected by the bomb. I'm not convinced that that's true, to be perfectly honest, because I think there wouldn't be time beforehand to do it. And afterwards, there would just be such a loss of service and function that it just wouldn't happen. I don't think there'd be the infrastructure to organise that. I I think the country would become so chaotic. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I, I think the people who may have been in place to in, enforce that would be trying to survive or trying to ensure that their families survived yeah. rather than organising people from the, whoever was surviving from the outskirts of London into buses to get them to Cornwall or wherever, wherever may vaguely be safe, past all the traffic jams of everybody else who was trying to do exactly the same thing. I don't think that would be a problem. Because I think the the country would be too chaotic. That's not a bad point, actually. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. A lot of what we've just watched is absolutely horrible, and I completely understand why it wasn't mm. transmitted back in 1965. But a lot of it shows the okay, reduced, but a functioning police service, a functioning oh, army, yeah. doctors who stay at their post for, and nurses who stay at the post for indefinite periods of time rather than going and looking after their own families. I'm not sure that's realistically practicable. I think there would be such a loss of infrastructure that what we'd be well, looking at is... It would be utter uh, chaos. People would revert to... Yeah, it would be chaos rather than anarchy. Yeah. Uh, it would revert to the default human setting. We would all revert to, if not everyone out for themselves, but every household out for themselves. The very least... At the end of the day, people are tribal. Hmm. And yeah. you you pull away the trappings of society and there would, I imagine, be a reversion to tribalism. Hmm. So, uh, yes, so that say, was, no, say no that to was nuclear grim and horrible. Kids. And moving on to the more grim and horrible threads. Yeah, this is the, the last sequence of our radiation extravaganza. Tell us a bit about Threads because, before we Because, dear God, I'm play. not sure there could be anything grimmer. Threads is a BBC drama that was originally transmitted on the 23rd of September 1984. 
It's written by Mick Jackson, and it shows the effects of a nuclear blast on the city of Sheffield. I remember watching it at the time. I would have been 15. I was at school. I remember being very deeply affected by it. I remember discussing it with family and friends afterwards and saying that, you know what, if there's a nuclear war, then I'm just going to go and stand out um, in the, the open space and not want to live through what I've just seen on the telly. It was grim. I've had the DVD for a lot of years and I've never been able to bring myself to watch it again. Other people of my generation, you say threads to them and they'll shiver. It's what this whole evening has been bringing itself up to. It was a BAFTA winner in 1985. It won the BAFTA for the best single drama, for the best design, the best film cameraman, the best film editor. And I believe it was nominated for about five or six others. With a deep breath and a mouthful of gin, are you ready? Um, I think I need to top up with the gin. And then, yes, I am as ready as I will ever be. Well, I will go and get the gin. In the meantime, roll the gin. Brace for impact. That was right, boys and girls. Yes, that was fucking grim. Oh, it's a bit of a loss, actually, as to know what to say. It wasn't as bad as I remember. But then I'm not 15 watching it again. Um, it was horrific. There were huge chunks of it I'd forgotten, huge chunks of it I'd over remembered. But the overall soul despairing awfulness was still there. I'm trying to think of something to say, even to describe it. Beyond. That, that was... Blah. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody out there wants to witness the sheer awfulness of nuclear war, watch Threads. It's not really something that really should need spelling out, but that is... But this does it in really, really big capital letters. I never need to see this again. And... Oh... I'm not really sure what else to say. (laughs) Actually, I think we need to take a break. Yeah, I think we do. This is the end of this particular podcast, boys and girls. We've gone from the comedy of Whoops Apocalypse to this. Yeah, and kicking kicking this off, you thought Level 7 was grim. Yeah, Level 7 was pretty bloody grim. but Yeah, but in retrospect, that was kind of a walk in the park. I think we've made the point of the awfulness of nuclear war... Without the listeners actually sitting down with us and having watched this, the full weight of it's not really going to come across. And However, it's just been remastered for DVD. It has. It came I, out earlier this year, according to Wikipedia. I, I don't need to see this in any higher quality. In fact, I don't really need to see the skin. In terms of makeup and sheer graphic horror of this, for 1984, the same year that my beloved Caves of Androzani came out... This is nowhere near. This is awfulness writ large. This 
and the War Games <sighs> and Level 7 in one evening as a triple bill has been a feat of endurance. And you hadn't seen two out of the three no, of them before. No, I haven't, no. So congratulations on surviving that. Uh, but for now, boys and girls, thank you very much for listening. Please don't have nightmares. And I'm half tempted to say don't watch threads, but really, more it's... people need to see that in order to understand why we don't need to have a nuclear war. It's one of those visiting Auschwitz things where you only need to do it once. Fucking hell. What he said. Okay, everyone. Well, the dust has settled on threads. The last time you heard us, we were a little worse for wear. Yeah, we were. Um, Simon, do you want to give us a bit more background as to what the story of threads actually is? Well, as we said, it's the story of the people of Sheffield after a nuclear bomb is dropped nearby and the political lead up to the uh, the bomb, which doesn't take terribly long. Then the, uh, the bomb itself be, being dropped, the um, the immediate effect and reaction of uh, people who were caught out in the blast, um, people who were taking shelter in various different places, the um, how the local government who'd had warning that this was going to happen and had put their contingency plans in place, how uh, how they reacted. And then going on for about another 20 years as to what happened to the, the handful of survivors. The main character in the story is a girl called Ruth, who at the beginning has just got engaged and discovered that she's pregnant. The story is really told through her eyes and the eyes of her family. She comes from quite a middle class family. they fellow that she's got engaged to comes from quite a working class family. She's there right the way through, carries the baby, and you see her raising the baby in a, a post-apocalyptic world. All the other major characters die fairly horribly quite early on. Um, her boyfriend... He's never seen again. He, he's working and he, he heads off across the city to try and find her and he's just never seen again. His family... So his mother and father, and there's a younger son as well, and I can't remember what happens to him. No, I can't um, either. I think he might just die in the initial blast, because it's certainly about their parents. Mm. The mother, that's right, the mother is halfway out the shelter to go and look for the younger son, and gets caught in the blast and gets half her face burnt mm. off. And she, a few days later, dies in that makeshift shelter. The father goes out to get supplies for her, and never manages to find find his way home. Ruth's parents hole up in their cellar along with a grandmother who's only just been released from from hospital after having fallen and broken her hip and the grandmother dies and they have to drag the the body out Mm. into the house where you see the body being eaten by wildlife you never actually see the the deaths of Ruth's parents but you find out that they've been bludgeoned by looters looking for food Ruth's story carries on getting uh, she heads off into the, the Pennines doesn't she yeah and ends up working on a on a farm there, raising her daughter, and dies when the daughter is still quite young. It's um, only about ten years afterwards, but might, yeah. But she, by in that ten years, she has aged visibly. Uh, her hair has gone white, her eyes are milky, yeah. Her skin's like paper. And the the daughter is left to be raised on her own. She she doesn't really have any education because she and Ruth are so busy surviving. She gets she ends up getting raped, and the very end of Threads is her giving birth and you never actually see what she gives birth to but you see that the nurse midwife who is delivering the baby just going to absolutely hysterics at the sight of it 
It's not a lot of laughs. No, they, they were very light on comedy when they wrote that. And having listened to our comments before, the comments about the, the war game where I was saying I, I didn't think that the infrastructure would really survive and you wouldn't have a, a functioning health service and a functioning army and a, a functioning police force. Threads really takes that on board and it, it is very anarchic. The, the, uh, the local government organisation who hole up in a bunker um, and try and organise the the relief efforts very quickly realise that they have nothing to organise mm. and they um, well they all suffocate anyway yeah and they, uh, the building on top of them collapses mm. so they all end up trapped in this bunker a slightly unrealistic bit where somebody tries to dig them out weeks later um, and I suspect the survivors would just have forgotten that they were there mm. um, but you see somebody going into the bunker and see that they there's somebody who dies in the bunker quite early on isn't there and they, they have to hide the body away in a corner and... they have and the one thing that struck me about that was that the body would decompose and it would just I don't know the amount of smoke that they had in there because they were, yeah, they were, they were all, all chain smoke um, that, <laughs> that was another thing it is unrelentingly grim. The one thing I would like to say, first and foremost, is I said it while I was drunk off my face on gin. I will say it again now that I'm sober. Everybody should watch Threads. All school children, sort of when they're sort of leaving age, I would say. I don't want to traumatise the kiddies. But if you want to instill into kiddies just the the naked horror of real nuclear war, that's not as far. I, I think that's a fairly accurate representation. But the first thing that strikes you... When the bomb goes off, the first real sign that they're in deep trouble is the dad goes to run the tap and the water just sputters and stops. Now, even if there was water coming out, it would be useless. Yeah. As the thing carries on, it's uh, it's punctuated by a series of captions, of, of video printout captions, explaining what's gone on. So it explains the uh, megatonnage of the actual bomb. It explains the time passage by means of captions and what's going on and um, what further services have broken down uh, and to the point where you get to 10 years in the future and we're basically a medieval society. There's nothing. I think the a bit of technology I remember seeing is a, a VHS of words and pictures that the kiddies are learning from. Yeah. As a piece of drama, it's outstanding. Yeah, you can see why it won as many awards as it did. The same with the war game, actually. That, that was a, a very good, thought-provoking play. And at its time, you can understand why the BBC thought that it was a bit too much to transmit. Mm. Well, as, we, as we said during the, uh, the commentaries, really, it was, it was only 20 years after the worst war we'd ever seen. Yeah. So, understandable, really. Lovely. It, it's charming stuff, but... Yeah. Um, it's only served to reinforce my fascination. And now the one thing that I do want to watch on the back of this is When the Wind Blows, because I've still never seen it. It's very good. It's not as harrowing in the other, as the others. Probably the story is every bit as much. It's just because it's a cartoon. Mm. There's a sense of distance from it. Because I've, I've read about it, but I'll spare my thoughts until we actually watch the thing. Yeah. But. I'm really glad we watched them. I am, to be honest. Um, I, I don't want to see them again. Actually, Level 7 I would watch again, because it... it it's the the least realistic of any of them. Um, it's the most obviously dramatic. But um, it's quite claustrophobic. I mean, th- there they are, however, uh, however, four miles underground. It's a long way. And there's no way out. They are in there. Right from the start, it feels quite fl- claustrophobic to me because they're, they're all in there, trapped together, and they're never going out. They never see... The whole purpose before the nuclear war is that they're not going yeah. to get back out. They are the pure future of the human race. Yeah, it's not cheerful, but it's mm. it's fictionally not cheerful. Yes, and we're, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. 
But Threads, I was so struck with. I do actually want to watch Threads again. Well, I'm fascinated by the subject matter for starters. You are welcome to the DVD because I don't want... I've seen it twice, so I don't need to see it again. <laughs> Unless you want to get the newly remastered... The remastered in, Blu-ray version. In extra horror vision. Well, I bought it for my mum. I know, I know. Um, I bought her the DVD for Christmas because I think that that is exactly up her street. Because I spoke to her about it. When I knew that we were going to watch it, I spoke to her about it and she said she'd never watched it. She'd heard of it, but never saw it at the time. And she used to watch all those sorts of things in the 80s, Edge of Darkness, that sort of thing. Or oh, we should do Edge of Darkness sometime. Well, I, I think we've got another radiation's worth if we want well, to do Edge that. Edge of Darkness is about three hours of viewing, so... Oh, we've had worse. We've sat through Web Planet. We haven't. We're going to. Individually, we sat through Web Planet. I'm voluntarily going to do it again. Anyway, let's let's. We just... can do that at double bill with the corridor people. Oh God Almighty! No, no. Anyway, yeah, that concludes. So the, yeah, the slightly more coherent thoughts about threads yeah, this right. this time around. But we were absolutely brain fried yeah. after that. And on the back of that, yeah, we needed cheering up. We did need cheering that. up. So episode eleven, uh, it really goes back to back with this episode to the point where we call it the radiation antidote we do because we need we did need something immediately that cheered us up we were already half i mean half cut is that fully cut i think we'd had more than sufficient more than it was i think it was about midnight or one o'clock before we started it was three o'clock before we turned in for the night and actually the stuff that ends up on the episode is the more coherent it is. There were a couple. We watched a, a Who Done It. We did watch a Who Done It. There was no commentary at all. So we, we'll we'll save Who Done It for another time. However, the one thing we must say in advance is sorry. Yes, he's sorry. We watched um, Castrovalva first episode because we wanted some shiny Who, and nothing that we said is anything that hasn't been said in biographies. But we'd like to apologise to Matthew Waterhouse. Yes, because he is. We've both met him. And he is a lovely man. But he does end up the butt of the joke. A bit. So, uh, actually, sorry, but, Matthew. The butt of the joke may not be the best way to apologise. But actually, it's entirely in keeping with what we end up saying. So <laughs> so there you are. He's demonstrated many times in the past that he has broad shoulders and a sense of humour. And hopefully he will take it. Doubt he'll ever listen to it, actually. Cause, no, but if he doesn't, but, uh, we'll see you in court and... We'll, we'll apologise there as well. So thank you very much for listening to our Radiation Grimfest. I think it's by far and away the uh, the least cheery thing we've done so far. I'm sure it won't be the last. Uh, next recording session, though, nothing miserable. Nothing miserable. So thank you very much, everyone. I uh, hope you have enjoyed it, and I hope uh, we've inspired you to go out and dig out more Archive TV. Uh, we shall see you ever such a short time for episode 11. We'll be back with something more fun next time. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.